As I was thinking through, what do you do for Christmas, right? What do you do for a sermon series at Christmas? Because a lot of times we feel like you hear the same thing. And while Jesus' birth is always awesome to celebrate, sometimes you can go, I've heard that before. And I don't have anything creative to introduce to you as brand new. You've heard these things before. But what we are going to do is we're going to discover this phrase, fit for a king. What does that mean? It was laid on my heart this summer, this phrase being fit for a king. And as I was thinking through the Christmas story and things surrounding Christmas, I went, how in the world are the gifts that the wise men brought later, maybe months, maybe years later, how were those gifts fit for a king? They definitely were not gifts you'd give a baby, right? And all of a sudden the Lord went, hey, that's a good name for the series, Fit for a King. And here's what we're going to do. Today, we are going to read through the beginning portion of the Christmas story, and we're going to pause when we hear the virgin birth, and today we're going to discover and talk more about the virgin birth and why that's so important. And then the next three weeks, we're going to talk about, through the rest of the Christmas story, the symbolism that the wise men gifts represent in the person of Jesus. So they're actually identified in the story as we read it. What do those gifts symbolize about Jesus and who he really is? And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper into each one of those and discover who Jesus is. And then on Christmas Day, we are going to ask ourselves the question, are we fit for a king? Because if we have Jesus Christ living inside of us, wow, that's a lot of pressure. Is my life fit for a king? So that's kind of what we're going to do for this Christmas series. And today, like I mentioned, we're going to talk about the virgin birth. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1 today, starting at verse 26 through verse 38. And uh, if you are able to stand while we read God's word, we would love for you to stand in honor of that. Luke 1, 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You may be seated. So there's a lot of things surrounding the virgin birth. And the difficulty is to touch on 
a little bit of everything without diving into a lot of one thing. And so I'm going to try to keep this more of a summary that you can then take and further investigate points or spots that maybe you're confused about. But there's a lot going on with the virgin birth. I want to go through some of the implications of the virgin birth first. But before I do that, we have to start with a joke. A little boy, oh, there's groans already. Oh, man. A little boy asked his mother where he came from and also where she had come from as a baby. His mother gave him a tale, a tall tale about a beautiful white feathered bird. The boy asked his grandmother the same question and received a variation of the bird story. Outside to his friends, he went to them and said, you know, there hasn't been a normal birth in my family for three generations. So the reason I say that is because a lot of times when we hear about the virgin birth, we kind of quickly skip over it. Maybe it's weird to us. Maybe it's uncomfortable. Maybe we don't understand it. But the virgin birth is not a story that was made up to prove a point or to create a narrative or to add emphasis for something. It is not a created story. It's not made up. It is in line with how God operates as sovereign and all-powerful, and it demonstrates exactly who he is and how he does it. He does things in his way to demonstrate a non-human way of doing things, but an all-powerful, almighty God way of doing things. But maybe you've had the question over the years, why did Mary have to be a virgin? Why do I need to hold this belief? Well, we're going to go through and hopefully answer some of those basic questions today. The reason that the virgin birth is very important, there's many, but some of the reasons are that it is knit into the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You can't separate these ideas. You see, the virgin birth is not some isolated doctrine that we can believe. It is closely tied to Jesus Christ as a person and the work that he did. You see, in 1 Corinthians, we see that because of sinful man, there is death but by a sinless man becomes the resurrection of the dead. And there's actually a quote that says this, if one does not accept the son of God's birth from a virgin, he can't, how can he accept his resurrection from the dead? Both of them are very tied closely together. And scripture teaches it. So not only is it knit into the person and work of Jesus Christ, but scripture teaches it. And so we have to either choose, are we believing scripture or are we not? We need to make sure that we view scripture properly. It's not a buffet. It's not an a la carte that we can pick and choose the miracles that make sense to us. We either accept scripture or we reject scripture. And the challenge here is that you say, I accept by faith the whole work of God's word. And so scripture teaches it. We see that it is truth. We see it in Matthew 1 in multiple places. We see it in Luke in what I just read. Scripture doesn't avoid calling Mary a virgin. It's actually highlighted. It's not, a, it's not a detail that we can just ignore like, oops, that got thrown in there, but we don't have to worry about it. It is absolutely a clear-cut teaching of Scripture that Virgin Mary was the one who gave birth to Jesus Christ. And so Scripture teaches it. We have to study it. We have to know it. One of the other implications about the virgin birth is that it's so easy to sometimes dismiss these things because it doesn't make sense to us. But there's two truths about God that we need to know before we dive deeper into the virgin birth. One, God is not bound by human processes. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Male and female make baby, okay? God is not bound by human processes. 
We see in Luke 135 that we just read that while mankind might operate within certain boundaries that God made us operate within, God is not bound by those same restrictions, those same boundaries. He is the creator. He breathes life. He doesn't have to follow those same rules that he gave us because he is almighty God. So God is not bound by human processes. If maybe you wrestle with this idea of the virgin birth and how is this possible, that's good because that is how God operates. He's not bound by those same restrictions. We see that that idea that the Holy Spirit will come upon Mary, it does not mean some of the other teachings that people like to say that God impregnated Mary. That's repulsive and that's not how God operated. God breathed life and he made something happen that human processes can't explain. That's the God that we serve. Hebrews 10.5 says, as he was coming into the world, he said this, you did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. In David Platt's commentary on Luke, he says this, By the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God the Father, a body was prepared for God the Son who would be brought forth by Mary. Scripture teaches it, and God is not bound by the same human process that we understand. We also know that God is not bound by human understanding because we can't make sense of something doesn't mean that it's not true. God doesn't operate that same way. Mary even asks in Luke 134, how can this be because I am a virgin? What you're saying to me, angel, okay, already this is weird because here's an angel talking to us, but the thing that she can't accept is the thing that's outside of her understanding. How can I be pregnant? I am a virgin. But God's not bound by human understanding. We actually don't want a God that completely makes sense to us because then what would that say about him? that he operates the same way that we do, in the same boundaries that we do, so our brain can make sense of it. We don't want to serve a God like that. God is outside of all of those processes. And so the virgin birth actually highlights the supernatural, the divine almighty God that we serve. Galatians 4.4 tells us that God sent forth his son. Whose doing was it? God's doing. It wasn't biology. It wasn't man-made. It was God's doing that made this. And so those are some of the very brief implications of the virgin birth and why it's important to study it. Scripture teaches it. We see that this is a gift from God. It highlights the way that he operates, the way that he works. It highlights the supernatural. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to talk about a few things about the virgin birth. And like I started with, why do I need to believe it? Why is it important? Well, by believing in the virgin birth, we see that salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is a gift from God. The very gift of Jesus into mankind is from God, and salvation is also from God. Because you have to realize that man can't create salvation. There isn't a plan that man can think up there isn't a design for a man to say, I'm going to do it this way and then I can just do all these things myself and achieve or have salvation. God is the one responsible for it. Mankind can't do it. And so when we look at the virgin birth, we say that was God's doing, not man's doing, because man can't do it. We also see not only man can't create salvation, but he can't earn salvation. Man-made efforts to accomplish forgiveness, a relationship with God, salvation, they're all wasted. They're all futile. Man cannot do it. 
Man is not about boasting or getting credit. God doesn't want to allow that to happen. Man would easily start to come up with all of these ways that we could make a name for ourselves. But the way that God designed this is that that's not what it's about. It's not about making a a name for mankind. It's about promoting the name of Jesus because man can't earn salvation. God is the one who gets the credit. So all of these things are his. So we also need to understand that it is by the grace of God that Jesus was sent. And it is by the grace of God that we are saved. You see, by rejecting the virgin birth, We reject that salvation is fully a gift from God. If we say that there was some other way that Jesus was conceived so that it makes biological sense that maybe a human man had some part in it, then we are dismissing the supernatural. We are adding man to the story that man gets some kind of credit for this. And then suddenly we say that salvation is no longer a gift from God. Salvation is earned by some sort of efforts of man. So you can start to see that the virgin birth is not something to dismiss or ignore. It carries very big implications for the rest of what you believe. Salvation is a gift from God only. It is not because of man-made efforts. It is by the grace of God that he sent us Jesus. It is by the grace of God that we are saved. So this Christmas, when you read the story, when you hear in the songs that there is the Virgin Mary... When you think of the virgin birth, think of the great gift of salvation from a loving God. That God loved you so much that he couldn't help but give a gift to you that was his doing, nothing that you did to achieve or earn or deserve it. So when you hear the virgin birth, give thanks to God for the salvation that he provided. The virgin birth carries with it something that can be very confusing for man, which is that Jesus is both divine and man. What we call this is the hypostatic union. Don't get confused by that. Hypostatic means personal. So it's the personal union of Jesus's two natures, divine and man. He was full deity and he was full humanity in one man. David Mathis has a commentary on this and he says this, no one person satisfies the complex longings of the human heart like the God-man Jesus. We are made in such a way that our hearts will never be eternally content with that which is only human. The conception of a God who never became man, like Allah, will not satisfy the human soul like the God who did. You see, God in person, Jesus Christ, full man, full deity, satisfies the human heart like nothing else can. He needed to be man so that he could be our perfect substitute and pay our penalty of guilt by his death. You see, fully man was the one who could pay for the sin of man. But he also needed to be divine so that he could supply the righteousness that man couldn't achieve. Remember, this isn't something man can do on his own. And so divine God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, supplied the righteousness that we could not achieve. Romans 3.10 says this, no one is righteous, no, not one. And so a mortal or finite person could not bear the infinite price to be paid for sin. You wonder why Jesus had to be both God and man. It's because only he could accomplish all the things needed to satisfy our guilt and the payment for our sin. 
Jesus Christ is the only one who can be a mediator between God and man because he's both. He's the only way for man to come to God in any sort of relationship. R.C. Sproul says that the miracle of his birth points to his divinity. You see, his human substance is derived within and from Mary so that he can be tempted fully just like us and offer atonement through his blood. Yet his lack of a human father frees him of the inherited guilt that would come down from Adam that taints all of us with sin. And the reason this is important is because he didn't have that inherited guilt, which means he can offer atonement for us. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And because of that, Romans 3 tells us that he is able to give as a propitiation for, by his blood on our behalf. Because Jesus Christ in Hebrews 7, he has no need, like the high priest, like man, to offer sacrifices daily, for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. You see, the implication here is that if you believe that he was only fully man, then he couldn't satisfy what was needed. If you believe that he had no man and he was all divine, then he couldn't relate. He couldn't show us that by his man-made blood, he was offered as a perfect sacrifice. None of it would make sense without believing both the hypostatic union of two full natures of Jesus Christ. So by rejecting the virgin birth or saying, I don't understand it, it doesn't make sense, you're actually rejecting that Jesus and his sacrifice was enough. When you think of the virgin birth this Christmas, think about how Jesus was both God and man to satisfy the debt that you owe, that I owe, if we glaze over it, if we ignore it because it's weird to us and we can't comprehend it, and we choose not to fully invest ourselves into seeing the detail of what God did in the virgin birth, we begin to reject a lot of different things that are critical to salvation. So at Christmas, don't be confused. Don't ignore the virgin birth. Take the time to think about that great gift of salvation from God. That by grace, it wasn't anything man did. It was all because of what God did. And think about how he paid the debt that you owe. We know that this all made sense, that he is both divine and man, and he was able to take on our sin and satisfy that debt because he was sinless. You see, Jesus had true humanity without inherited sin. All human beings have inherited legal guilt and corrupt moral nature from their first father, Adam. But that line of descent from Adam was partially interrupted because Jesus didn't descend in the same way as every other human. So you might wonder, well, how was he sinless? This is how. You see, the sin nature was not from Joseph because Joseph wasn't involved in the process. Jesus was free from the inherited guilt. He could pay for the sin and he could satisfy that guilt because he had no guilt of sin. He took ours. Jesus needed to be innocent because a sinner couldn't die for the sin of others. 2 Corinthians says he knew no sin. He became sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of God. Jesus was sinless. And I have another controversial thing that I want to talk about. Mary was not sinless. 
There are many teachings that say Jesus was sinless because Mary must have been preserved in some way, but that doesn't make sense because Scripture tells us that Jesus alone was sinless and perfect. We cannot add to Scripture. We take it at its word. Mary was not sinless. It may be tempting to start going down that road and coming up with an explanation for how Jesus maintained sinlessness when he was born of a human mother. How does that make sense? So we might be tempted to start going down to things that make sense to us. Well, maybe then Mary was preserved in one way or another. But Scripture doesn't teach that. Scripture doesn't even hint at that. It is false. Scripture tells us exactly how Christ was sinless, even though he was birthed by an earthly mother. And we read it in Luke 1.35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, speaking to Mary, and therefore... The child will be called holy. Therefore, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit, because he is the one doing all of this, nothing that mankind did. Remember, if we start adding that Mary was sinless, then it's something that man brought to the table for our own salvation and our own redemption. Mary was not sinless. The Holy Spirit is the reason. Therefore, because the Holy Spirit is involved, therefore, this Son, this child to be born will be called holy. It's because of the Holy Spirit. He is the reason. This is not the work of the human race. This is not the work of Mary. This is all the work of God himself. R.C. Sproul says this, Yet he was to differ from all humanity in that he did not have a human father. His conception occurred by the power of the Holy Spirit. This was a miracle in the strictest sense of all. It was an act that only God could bring to pass. God alone can bring something out of nothing, life out of death, fertility from a barren woman, and a virgin birth. So if we dismiss the virgin birth, we're saying that God isn't powerful enough, or we're saying that it has to make sense to us. But this is a miracle that highlights the supernatural of how God operates, and it gives no credit to anyone except God himself, who deserves all of the credit. Mary was not a natural, sinless, righteous woman. She was not holy. She was not full of grace, meaning that she could give grace. She received grace from God for all of this to happen. In fact, Mary is described by Kent Hughes as a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. And he doesn't mean offense by that. What he's trying to say is to prove a point. This was not some prestigious person that God looked at and said, wow, look at everything you have to offer. You've done something to earn this blessing from me. Grace is undeserved, unmerited favor from God. And God found a lowly sinner Mary was a lowly sinner. And what that should show us is that even when we feel small and insignificant and we feel undervalued and we feel worthless, God reaches into humanity and he uses the lowliest to do the greatest things. We cannot start adding things to scripture. Jesus alone was the one who was sinless. And so all of those things to say What does it mean for our Christmas? I didn't dive deep into any one of those things because there's books upon books upon books of what the virgin birth really means about the rest of doctrine and theology. But I hope that you got a little bit of an understanding that we can't just dismiss this. You can't just say, I don't understand it, so I don't want to talk about it. When you hear the virgin birth, I want you to be able to stop and say, I am so 
thankful. It reminds me of my salvation. It reminds me that God is full of grace and he gives grace because I can't achieve, I can't do any of these things on my own. So when you hear virgin, you think supernatural. God is the one who does great things, not man. And as I was pondering this idea of when I hear virgin birth, do I really stop and give thanks to God because of the many implications that this has? And I want to this Christmas. And so I want to bring you along for what the Lord has laid on my heart with four brief things on what I know about God and what I'm going to remind myself about God when I hear about the virgin birth. Here's the ways we can thank the Lord. The first one, God cares. Very simply, God cares. Because man couldn't provide a savior. Man can't fix the greatest problem that it has. And so God reached down into humanity, into mankind, and he provided a way. Nothing that man did, nothing that man deserved. It was because God cares. We know this in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son. We didn't earn his son. He gave his son simply because he cares. And so we know when we hear the word virgin birth, we can know that God cares. The virgin birth proves that God cares for us. Not only does he care, but God has a plan. Man couldn't provide a plan. God did. God is always working, even right now, to accomplish his plan. This means that your life, your circumstances are never too much for him. They're never too messy because he's the redeemer. He's the one that is outside of our understanding of how things are going to operate. Even Mary said, how can this be? It doesn't make sense to me. Does that mean that God had to scramble and figure out how to make it make sense to her? No. He gave her the best idea of how he could explain it to her, and then he did his work because that's what he does. God has a plan. So no matter what's going on in your life or your circumstance, it's never too much for him. He is the redeemer. When you can't figure out how it's going to make sense, things seem impossible, you are right where you should be because you can just trust the plan of God and apply your faith directly to him. You see, the virgin birth proves not only that God cares, but that God has a plan. We also see that it proves that God is powerful. God's plan is going to be accomplished because he is sovereign and he is powerful. Without or with human participation, he's going to make his plan happen because he is powerful. You see, if we dismiss that God can make a virgin birth happen because maybe it doesn't make that scientific biological sense, then we can't believe other things that he does with his power, like the resurrection or the power to take on our sin or the power to accomplish his work. Think about all the examples in the Old Testament where God demonstrated his power over his creation. He parted the sea. We can't accept all of those things if we portion out what makes sense to us with God being powerful. He spoke life into existence, and he did the same with the virgin birth, overwhelming what we know to be this limitation of mankind, that it means male and female. He overwhelms that because he is all-powerful, and he is the one that made it happen. So we either believe that he's divinely powerful or not, or he's all-powerful or he's not. You can't portion it out. It is not our picking and choosing. God 
is all-powerful. And the virgin birth proves that he is powerful. The very last thing that I want you to see from the virgin birth is yes, he cares. Yes, he has a plan. And yes, he's going to accomplish that plan because he is powerful. But it is God who gives life. You see, outside of the way that we know human life to come into existence, God operates and he makes it happen. This was true in creation when he spoke it. It's true in his plan of Christmas and the virgin birth, and it's true in salvation. It's true in salvation that he gives brand new life because of Jesus Christ. And you may wonder how it's possible that I confess with my mouth and I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and I'm going to be saved. Yes, And maybe that doesn't make sense to you. It won't make sense to you fully because it is a full gift of the grace of God. You may ask yourself questions or may make statements like, I don't deserve it. I can't repay this gift. I'm still the same old person. But you have to trust that God is all-powerful and that salvation is a gift from him because it is by the grace of God in his power, in his plan, and his care and love for you that he gives new life because of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that you are a brand new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so the virgin birth proves to us that God gives life. And it can be a brand new life in Jesus Christ if you accept him. If you seek forgiveness of sins only through him and him alone. And it's nothing that you can do There is no list that you present to God that says, here's all the ways that I've measured up. Because remember, it's not about you. And the virgin birth shows us that it's not about how man can achieve it. God is the one who is at work. God is the one who gets the credit and the glory because he did everything. And it is because of grace. A gift of grace to mankind in Jesus Christ. So as a summary, this year, When you hear born of a virgin, when you hear it in songs and you think, that doesn't make sense to me, I hope now that you can actually pause. And instead of bypassing it, you can think, what were the implications of the virgin birth? I need to focus on it because if I just reject it, there's a lot of other implications that would mean that I don't believe that the God of Scripture is real. You see, when you hear the virgin birth, I want you to remember that the loving God, the one who intimately cares for you in such an overwhelming way that he planned redemption for you because you couldn't do anything about it. You couldn't find your own plan or under your own power do anything. When you hear the virgin birth, think about that loving God who planned that redemption, that by his power and his plan, he brought to life in a miraculous way, through a virgin, Jesus Christ, who made a way for you to have brand new life. He prepared a body for Jesus Christ. And that body was given up for you and for me. And so this year, celebrate the truth and the implications of what the virgin birth really means. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for a quick summary of something that is so deep and meaningful. Lord, I pray today that we would not be overwhelmed by things that maybe we don't understand, but we also wouldn't just blindly believe. 
I pray that you would prompt people's hearts to seek you for better understanding, for better wisdom. I pray that people would seek you if they have questions because God, you care for us so much that not only did you send your son, but you help us with understanding. You help us with wisdom. But at the beginning of all of this, we have to admit that do we believe that God is all-powerful or not? And I believe that, God, you are all-powerful. And I believe that you overwhelmed a virgin so that Jesus Christ, my Savior, could be born in a way that was miraculous but personal to me as mankind. And I praise you that those things are all true that Jesus Christ was born. He went on to live a sinless, perfect life so that all things were satisfied in him when he went to the cross for my sins. And because he did that, because by your power he overcame death and was raised again, I believe all of those things to be true. And I believe that confessing with my mouth, believing with my heart that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, is a miraculous work of God Almighty. And it is by your grace, not anything else. Thank you for that truth today. I pray that we would celebrate the life of Jesus Christ who came from a lowly virgin that demonstrates your power and love for us. In Jesus' name we pray.